Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to another week of the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardik. What up? What up, buddy? Nothing cool? Nothing cool. Why? I just I just don't have it in me right now. What is the problem? I'm just slacking, bud. Slacking. What are you, got tired? Lo- I got a lot on my mind. Well, what? Why? Oh, you have turkeys on the mind? Turkeys on my mind. Well, hey, it could be worse. You could have way... Way worse things on your mind, like having to go to work or something. Well, I do that too. Well, hey, those things happen. It's part of life. Well, we are looking forward to this weekend. We are going to be in New York at the Big Big East Camping and Hunting Show up in Verona at the Turning Stone Casino. So if you guys are anywhere near there, hang out there, friends that are from there, we are going to be there this Hopefully weekend. Hopefully I'm there. Yeah, well. I might be at work. Well, those things happen too. We got a little snow coming in, so we'll I see what happens. I don't think it's going to be It's anything. not much, though. I don't think it's going to be anything that you have to worry about. I hope not. You'll be in New York. I know you will. But, I mean, it's just, it is what it is, dude. And before I forget, we are presented by HuntworthGear.com, Huntworth Camo, guys. If you haven't checked them out, make sure you go and do it. Now's the time of the year that you want to be getting that stuff, getting that heat boost, getting all of your Huntworth camo, and even your early season, you know, your Durham pants and stuff like that. Their stuff is early season. I'm actually rocking a pair right now. I shed hunted in them, um, and uh, I, I love them. I absolutely love them. Great pants. Um, you know, go and get yourself some, you know, HuntworthGear.com. So um, while we're at it, we might as well tear through the rest of them, I guess, right? Might as well do all it. All right, Nor'easter game calls, Nor'easter game calls, get them in close. We do have a ton of pot calls, box calls. Ridge Runners. Runner. Ridge Runners is probably one of the best calls that they make, they honestly. They Mark does really kill it. Uh, it's an aluminum box. If you guys haven't never seen it, it's actually a, a pretty badass turkey call. Probably one of my favorites. When I can't get something else to strike, they will strike with the, the Ridge Runner hands down. Um, and then, obviously, uh, all of our mouth calls, the Cheating Hen, and uh, all those good ones over there. Also, uh, ZeusBroadheads.com or NewEraArchery.com, which is Zeus Broadheads. Um, the Hera and all those good ones over there. Uh, the man Nick Albanese himself. So go and check those guys out. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's that time of year where you need to be getting that stuff and working with those people. Yeah, don't so. wait till the last minute. No, don't wait for the last minute. I mean, some people seem to do that. Like, like how many how many years ago was it that like you were that guy that you know would do everything last minute? I think every year something always ends up getting pushed off the last minute, but. I don't know. You just get better. You didn't do it on purpose. No. I think every time you 
put priority on one thing, something else always falls to the back, and it's always a juggling act. Well, it's kind of crazy. So, like, my my dad would be like that guy. Like, <laughs> it's a week after the season started, and he'd be like, oh, I got to go get my permission slip signed. Dad, the season's been going on for now. We're working on a week, and you don't even have your permission slips for properties yet? Like, what are you doing? So, like, I always set out to make sure that I got my stuff done before then. Yeah, but the gear one, that's a big one. That I mean, some of that stuff you can't do till later, but th- this is the best time to get your gear situated and yeah. get your new product so you can get familiar with it. Well, and there's practice. a ton of them on the market by now, and that you should be messing around with those things, building your climbs for you guys that are mobile hunting, whether it's an elevate stand or a latitude saddle. Uh, you know, you want to build those things and get those things working and figuring out what's going to work best. I mean, nothing worse than going into the season and not knowing how you're going to get up the tree. I mean, that's that's yeah. and, and then having to figure it out. I mean, I've been in that scenario in that situation when I started saddle hunting. I got it a couple of weeks before the season started and just went out there opening day and literally tried. But that is probably the worst feeling ever, not knowing how to use half the equipment before the season actually starts. But so, dude, how was the weekend for you, man? I know we, we were kind of busy hopping around. I mean, Saturday we're was a nutcase. freaking weekend. I know, dude. Like, I'm so far behind in my shed hunting. My, my, I finally my, got out. I had goals for miles <laughs> and goals for sheds. I'm not even going to come close to it. we on. talked about that the other day. But it is what it is. I'm, I'm satisfied with how that's going. But, um, yeah, it was a good weekend. We stopped by and saw Drew. Drew had a little meetup down at Wild Edge. Stopped in there. A bunch of new hunters in there. Clayton and those other two dudes. Yeah, I forgot. There was a bunch of mobile hunting guys that were just getting started. Kind of went down there and hung out. So it was good to see the guys that were there and the newer guys that were there. Um, And then we we headed off to go see Mr. Mike Salter. C.T. Salter. C.T. Salter. (laughs) Where was that? Uh, Simsbury. West Simsbury. Yeah, the Coon Club. Yep. Yep. So we went and hung out there. He had his game dinner, the annual game dinner, which the appetizers were absolutely out of this world. I mean, Definitely. it was probably, dude, the moose and all the other stuff. I mean, I love game dinners. Moose just, balls. Just the, the moose balls. Yeah, moose balls are always good. A uh, ton of fish. It was a mixture of just kind of everything, I think. Um, it was good. It was yeah. all good. It was all great food, great people, hung out with – Dan and Chris and all the other crew and Tom Oligio Tom Oligio was there. Yeah, yeah. So we got to hang out with those guys. And I mean, it's free beer on tap. So I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really get much better than that. I was driving. Yeah, I wasn't even. I wasn't. <laughs> I was driving too, but I yeah, I didn't drink. I just hung out. That's a haul out there too. Well, that's the thing. Is it's so far away? Yeah. And then to have to drive home. I mean, just to go out there for two hours. I mean, it was just. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's Inside an absolute joke. joke. Sorry, Salty. Um, <laughs> but no, I I mean, it was a good weekend all in all. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed my time at Wild Edge, though. It's cool just to – we didn't do anything. We just hung out and talked. Hung out. And I, I love Drew. Drew's a freaking killer, man. Yeah. And that's what I love about him, like – Through and through killer. Yes. And you can tell by talking to him, like, he's not just – I mean, obviously, as a company that he's selling stuff, but like you can talk the talk with Drew because Drew, I'd be willing to bet for someone his age, I don't think I know anybody that's killed as many deer as Drew. Drew's killed a lot of freaking deer. I mean, he did it professionally. That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, just to, and like you said, yeah, he has a brand that he's upholding, but to have a conversation with Drew and his knowledge base at the time of what it is today, I mean, is insane, dude. Right. Like, like, I don't think. 
I really don't think out of all the people that I know that are hunters across the board, across the state, I don't think that there's one person that I know that has killed as many deer as that, Drew has. Exactly. I, I mean, like, professionally, that's what he's done for a living for a long time. And literally knowing and understanding whitetails, I don't think mm-hmm. that there is somebody out there. I mean, I, I mean, I know this is kind of a bold statement, and it, I'm probably going to get shunned for this, but, I mean, there's a lot of people that are, you know, that we all look up to mm-hmm. as, as hunters. You know, the Drury's. Mike Waddell's, I mean, that are all killers, and they kill a ton of animals. And I think that that's where you would put Drew in that that realm of a whitetail hunter. I mean, there is, there's really nobody that I know that holds a stick to Drew when it comes to as many deer as he's actually killed. So to be able to talk to him about that right. and how to do it, and also doing it over bait. Like a lot of guys, I mean, there's a debate, and we can go on and on about it forever, but like... Drew is one of those guys that fully understands how to kill deer over bait. Yeah. Which is a skilled art that a lot of people don't understand or know. Right. Well, to clean that up a little bit, you got to remember, like, he was basically a contracted killer. He was like, a He was going killer. in to eradicate deer population. All over the world. Right. Not just the United States. All over the world. Right. And that, that's why I like to spend time with Drew, because you have those in-depth conversations on how to kill deer. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, I mean, nothing's worse than like trying to have a conversation with somebody trying to sell you product that, that they've been, he you know, I've it. been doing this for 15 years. Well, you've killed three freaking deer. So I'm not going to listen to you try to teach me how right. to use some product when you don't even really know how to use it. Right. You know what I mean? But Drew is a killer through and through. And I mm-hmm. just, I just love that guy. And I just, I just, he's one of the bros, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. And there's, there's. There's a lot to be said from that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know. You have to believe it, right? Like, it's it's one of those things that's like, it's a believable thing. Like, when he tells you to do something, that's those those things that you're going to do. Because, you know, you're gonna because be successful he, he has so. the pictures and the wall to back it up. That's the truth. But you know? No, for sure. But it was always good. It's always good to hang out with him. And, you know, I mean, one of the things, like, Drew would come to us and be like, dude, I just want to do a podcast on trapping. I just want to do a podcast on killing deer. I don't even care about pushing my product. I just want to talk deer with the boys. I know Drew's been on several times in the past. Mm. Have you had Have you had an episode with him talking about just about him, his past profession? Uh, maybe, maybe. Me and him did one we recorded down in his studio not too long ago and we did talk about just hunting um but everything else and he was obviously on east coast bow hunting podcast so he was with us on there a lot and he was talking hunting and some of the stuff i mean it was cool um but i think that i see a future where drew's gonna jump on with us and actually talk hunting because i think there's a lot to be learned from him um, with what he actually does, right? You know, I know that this is, we are boasting him, but <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's it's definitely true, and something that needs to be done. I think as far as killing goes, I um, agree. So, well, man, what do you think, dude? We had a really good <clears throat> podcast with the boys in the Journey to the Outdoors, and I don't know what else. You got anything good over there in the Killer's Corner? Yeah, or? I got. I got. Well, I have a couple. I got Dennis Sink with a uh, woodchuck. Oh, good old Dennis, dude. Yep. And then uh, I got two. I knew I was going to miss some people. I got two shout-outs from the Springfield Sportsman Show. Uh, Kevin Tatro stopped by with Hunter and his dad, Jim. Jim's my favorite Tatro. But He's way better Don't than tell the Kevin that. He gets yeah. mad at me for saying Jim, that. actually, it was funny. We were at a game dinner one time, and Jim, uh, my hands are cold. So 
uh, Jim Jim gave me uh, these wool like half cut off um, gloves. Yeah. And Tatro was so pissed because Tatro wanted them, but Jim gave them to me, and it was just kind of funny. And I still have them to this day and still hunt with them. Yeah. So I mentioned Tatro, so that means uh, he's gonna bring me hot dogs at hunt stock. Oh. That was the deal. <laughs> um, oh, just for a mention, yeah, you get some yeah, hot dogs. Yeah, that's I had a boy. plug. And then uh, who was the other one that I remembered and then I forgot again? Um, McGillicuddy. Oh, Jeremy. Jeremy yeah, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot you in the last yeah. episode, but I knew I was going to forget somebody. So there's a pile of people that came by. The uh, Erica and from I, I, I got them. Did last we get episode. them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, ah, just too many people to come by. I know. We Which need to make good. a list. A good pr- I did have a list. I just, yeah, I still forgot a couple people. But speaking of those guys that are local too, is when we're on the on the you know the talk of shows, uh, the Connecticut. Uh, hunting and fishing show in Mohegan Sun. If you guys want to stop by the booth, we're really looking forward to it. We actually partnered up with uh, Real Outdoors TV, Mr. Matt Weddish. Uh, so we'll be in the booth with him, kind of kicking it, chilling. Uh, we'll be probably in the back corner, probably away from everybody, and making all kinds of racket down there in the back. So I'm looking forward to that one. That's close to home. Super think, close to home. I think all the boys are staying at my house that weekend. Mm, yes, we are. It's like a hop, skip, and a jump for us. So. Right. We can get a little, uh, the boys will be buzzing in my backyard. The boys will definitely be buzzing well, this weekend, that weekend. We don't have to worry about trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, talking about boys buzzing, why don't we uh, go see our man Mike Salter and uh, see what he's got for news from the cruise. I know he's got some special stuff, and we have, you know, an announcement to make as far as news from cruise, and we talked about it, uh, partnering with Bowhunting United, but we're actually going to make that official uh, probably next week. Uh, so we'll have a podcast with them that we'll release next week. But let's uh, let's turn it on over to our boy, Mr. Mike Salter. Yeah. CT Salter. All right, guys. Why don't we buckle up and see what's going on in the world of news with Mr. Mike Salter. Hey, everyone. We're going to kick this one off with a bunch of legislative updates. First, here in Connecticut, where two hunting bills are headed to the public hearing tomorrow, March 10th. The first is House Bill 1148, which authorizes certain killing and hunting of black bears and prohibiting bird feeders and other intentional and unintentional feeding of potentially dangerous animals. And the second is House Bill 1149, which would eliminate all Sunday hunting restrictions on both private and public lands. These are both great bills, uh, and everyone who can should submit testimony in favor of these bills. Uh, I put a post on the Outdoor Drive Facebook group with links to those bills, as well as a link to submit testimony. Uh, Even for you folks that are out of state that would want to come hunt here, getting those Sunday restrictions uh, lifted would be awesome. So get on that. Next to Wyoming, where two bills are headed to the governor's desk, which will change shed hunting in the state. First is House Bill 123, which directs the Wyoming Game and Fish Department to give Wyoming residents a one-week head start on non-residents for shed hunting season. Next is House Bill 276, which makes public land shed hunting a licensed activity, activity, at least for non-residents. The final version of the legislation declares that shed antlers and horns on state and public lands are the property of Wyoming, just like the wildlife that dropped them. This bill requires non-residents to possess a conservation stamp, which costs $21.50, to legally partake in public land shed hunting. Uh, Residents and kids under 15 are exempt uh, from the conservation stamp requirement. These regulations go well beyond other western states and will be something to keep an eye on. Uh, now to Oklahoma, where House Bill 2355 is moving through the legislature, which would allow uh, for air bows to be used during archery season. I think most bow hunters uh, would be against uh, air bows being allowed during a regular archery season, so make sure to voice your opinion on that bill as well. Uh, if you would like to voice opposition, this can be done directly through the Bow Hunters United website. 
Uh, now to Maryland and Senate Bill 327 has been proposed to provide nearly $9 million annually uh, in addition conservation funding that will go directly into conservation programs to benefit hunters, anglers, outdoorsmen, and the DNR. Now in New Mexico, uh, in 2021, a bill passed there prohibiting trapping on public lands. Now House Bill 261 has been proposed to add javelina, bear, and mountain lion to the existing wanton waste statute. Passage of this bill would increase public acceptance of hunting of these species and neutralize key arguments uh, used to limit the hunting of these species. Uh, in Iowa and Florida, we have bills that have been proposed to affirm the rights of residents to hunt and fish. Both states have proposed constitutional amendments to support hunting and fishing. So if you're in either of those states, reach out to your legislators and voice support for those bills. Uh, now to Hawaii, where currently hunters cannot uh, donate game meat. That will hopefully change with a new bill aimed at allowing game meat to be donated to benefit underserved communities. Uh, this is Senate Bill uh, 1603, and you can take action on this one through the National Deer Association's website. Uh, to Washington, where House Bill 5073 would open a black bear hunting lottery in the northwestern part of the state, and House Bill uh, 5155, which would open a limited bear hunting season uh, and ban deliberate feeding of black boars, bears. Uh, you can voice support on these bills through howlforwildlife.org. Now for some upcoming opportunities. First here in Connecticut, where the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection will be holding a wild turkey hunting seminars on April 1st at Franklin Swamp Wildlife Management Area, uh, April 2nd at Rockville Fish and Game, and April 16th at Sessions Woods Wildlife Management Area. Uh, both experienced and first-time hunter, hunters are welcome, and the seminars will cover safe hunting practices, specialized equipment, calls and decoys, site setup, and other strategies. Participants will also have the opportunity to pattern their turkey shotguns after the seminar, uh, but must bring your own shotgun and turkey hunting shells. Pre-registration for those seminars is required and can be done through the Hunter Education Registration System on the department's website. Now to Michigan, where the National Wild Turkey Federation will be holding a Turkey 101 clinic on March 14th at 6 p.m. at the RESD uh, Gratic Isabella Building in Ithaca. Uh, Pre-registration is open and spots are still available. Uh, the clinic will cover basics of turkey hunting and you can register on the National Wild Turkey Federation's website. There will also be a wild turkey workshop held in Michigan on April 1st at 1 p.m. at the Williams Gun Sight Company in Davison. Uh, there will be, this will be a three, free three-hour course uh, put on by the Flint River chapter of NWTF. Uh, Dan Prince, an expert turkey hunter, will be a guest speaker, and a Williams Gun Sight Master Gunsmith will show you how to customize your turkey gun. A raffle drawing will also be held uh, to win a Smith & Wesson MP Shield 9mm. Uh, no reservations are needed for this one. And for more information, you can contact Jim Miller at jmmturkey at att.net. Uh, now to Vermont, where the Fish and Wildlife Department is hosting a training course for hunter education instructors on Saturday, uh, March 25th at South Burlington City Hall. All applicants will need to complete the instructor paperwork and online homework uh, before the course. Lunch will be provided and the application paperwork can be found on the Fish and Wildlife's website. Also in Vermont, uh, the public hearing on deer and moose management, which was scheduled for March 21st, has been rescheduled to March 24th at 6.30 p.m. at the Manchester Community Library. The March 20th and 23rd hearings remain unchanged. Uh, again, the public can provide comments on the 2023 proposals uh, at the hearings or by emailing anr.fwpublickcomment at vermont.gov. Lastly, to Pennsylvania, where public is once again being asked to help the Pennsylvania Game Commission. The Game Commission is asking the public to report sightings of any quote-unquote tamed rough grouse sightings. 
The game commission is seeking help uh, to answer whether or not this type of team behavior uh, matters to grouse and to grouse management. There is a video on the Game Commission's YouTube channel showing what this type of team behavior looks like. The agency has partnered with Penn State University to conduct a genetic study on rough grouse. The research aims to determine whether Pennsylvania's grouse population shows signs of splitting up into distinct subpopulations and if the team behavior is linked to genetics. The results of the study will ensure that habitat management efforts are targeted to improve and maintain grouse population connectivity. Uh, to report any tame grouse sightings this spring, email grousecomments at pa.gov. The email should include the person's name and phone number, date of the sighting, location of the encounter, and description of the grouse's behavior. Ideally, if people uh, could provide GPS coordinates, it would be great. Otherwise, provide as much de detail as possible uh, about the location because field staff will be going out to locate and collect a genetic sample from each of these grouse. And all the grouse that are sampled will be released immediately in the same location. So as always, if you have anything to send along to me, it would be greatly appreciated. Get on those bills and enjoy the rest of your ride. All right, Mr. Mike. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Bowhunting United. And uh, we'll, we will get with you guys next week and uh, have a really good podcast about what Bowhunting United actually is. So, I don't know. This was a good podcast. We should probably turn into those boys and let them boys uh, kind of tear this thing up. We had a good conversation talking pretty much anything and everything, some deer hunting memories, some stories. These guys are good, dude, bringing it down to Pennsylvania, some local boys for us, and uh, yeah, let's yeah. Uh, what, let's turn it on over to them and uh, see what they got to say. Do it up. What's going on, gentlemen? Oh, not much. Just sitting here after a day of work, you know, the usual. Just another day in PA, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely. Are you guys located? <laughs> whereabouts in PA are you guys located? So we're both from the same area, really. Um, I grew up in Holidaysburg, Pennsylvania, and then calling the other guy, Tretson. Yep. Yeah. So just over the mountain. So Jordan's a valley guy. I'm up on the top of the hill. So. <laughs> Hmm. That's awesome. PA is one of those things that, like, if you're not if you're not a hunter, you're pretty much shunned out of the out of the out of the state of PA, huh? Yeah. It's oh, like, yeah. It's, it's like a live, breathe, or die kind of thing. It doesn't really matter. It's a national holiday, hunting season. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty much known for having the highest amount of hunters per square mile. Um, actually, I think, Colin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're, like, top five in the nation. Yeah, we were probably right around. I think now I think we have around six hundred thousand hunters. Um, it used to be a million, but um, yeah, we're probably right around six hundred thousand. So hopefully numbers keep going up. I mean, I know the pressure stinks sometimes, but you know, kind of have to have it to keep things going and do what you want. I mean, we're uh, we're a blue state right now, so gotta do what we can to keep hunters alive. <laughs> That's how can PA be a blue state? I don't even know how that. E how did that even happen? We just got to donate Philadelphia and we'll be all right. Yeah. I think that they, yeah. they, they're, they keep up, uh, they like their, uh, they like to swing blue there. So if we, uh, take the Liberty Bell and give them to New Jersey, I wouldn't be happy, but uh, it's another topic. <laughs> I guess, I guess that's the joys of, of New England. New England is just a blue, blue area to begin with. Like, right. And right. it's just the cities. It's just the cities. You get out of the cities, it, it's, it's a total different ball game. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. how it is here, too. Man, all right. Let's get out of politics. Let's put this thing in four wheel drive. Why don't you guys <laughs> tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you guys do? 
So basically, we're a group of guys that started as close friends, really. Um, back in 2017, grew up in central Pennsylvania, so hunting's pretty much in our roots. Um, and through that, we've kind of became borderline addicted to filming and sharing our hunts in various ways. Obviously, you know, YouTube's the one way and then social media. Um, you know, we're all really close, growing up close to, to one another. I think, you know, we could throw a stone at each other's house, basically. I mean, we say that we're still about less than an hour away, but we're all really close knit in the group. Um, but we're all out of like central Pennsylvania. So mostly around the state college area. That's what we tell everyone. At least that's what I tell everyone uh, is like state college, you know, Penn state. That's mm -hmm. what, that's what we tell everyone kind of rings a bell with everyone. So. Yeah. If you tell anybody our hometown, they don't even know what we're talking about. So it's just easier to give a generalized area. Who? That's funny that you say that. Cause all the PA guys, so we have a good buddy of ours who actually last week's podcast, Craven wild, uh, Dan, our friend, Dan smelts there. We were inside actually at the PA show where we met you guys and we walk up to this company and he's like, yeah, I'm from PA. I'm from, uh, such and such an area. And he's like, yeah, me too. And then Dan goes, yeah, no, actually I'm from here, but I don't tell anybody that. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm from here, but I don't tell anybody that. I just tell them that I'm from, you know, the Poconos area. And we're like, what, how does that even make any sense? Like, I guess you have to do that though. Like landmark wise. Right. It's probably a, it's probably a Pennsylvania thing, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd only imagine, man. Why don't you tell everybody your name first? I don't. Are you like an alias, afraid, or I don't know. You didn't go there, so. So, so we got a we got a group of five. So it's the Journey Outdoors. We got Tim Fabry, who's from Collins hometown. Myself, Jordan, and then um, Nick Day, who is from State College. Uh, Brandon Bear, we call him Ed because it's a little easier than Brandon. I don't know. It just kind of stuck with him. Um, I think it was like a childhood name. He's from State College, so Nick and Ed kind of grew up together. Uh, Tim and Colin know each other, and then Colin's right there with us. So. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Colin. Yeah, no, it's a pretty similar story to Jordan. I grew up not too far from him, uh, just up over the mountaintop. Just I actually didn't grow up hunting. I uh, got into hunting late in life. My uh, my wife, when I met my wife back in high school, when we were just dating. Uh, her family actually got me into it, and just been hooked ever since. So. Um, going on about 10 years now, just loving every minute, trying to learn as much as I can. So, um, I, I don't have like the most traditional story. Mm. Um, I just didn't have a mentor or anything whenever I was younger to actually take me out. And thankfully, you know, that, uh, my wife's family took, uh, took me under their wing and dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, probably frustration and teaching me things that, to catch on later in life. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's kind of where I'm at. Um, I think whenever I started hunting, it was kind of the, um, I wouldn't say fad, but I think it was just the start of whenever people wanted to, you know, film their hunts, get on YouTube, make an Instagram page. Um, so I think that was like a big impact during that time frame whenever I just started. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the life that I just kind of jumped on into. I don't really have any pre-roots uh, prior to like the social media game. So um, ever since I started hunting, you know, I've been trying to make it work, building some Instagram pages. And um, Tim and I, Tim's actually my wife's cousin. Um, we've known each other for you know, almost a decade now. And then I uh, met the other guys, you know, the last, you know, six years uh, we, when we built this thing, uh, we actually went on our first hunt out west together. And afterwards, we're like, hey, what we're doing this, uh, I think we all have the same common interests. I think we have the same common goals. Like, 
why don't we uh, see what we can do with this? And, you know, now we're, you know, we're a company now trying to do what we can, you know, show them the sport that we love and just keep on doing what we do. So that's awesome, man. So I want to know something because you guys having a big group of guys and it's something that we kind of started ourselves into. What are some of the trials and tribulations that you go through having so many guys (laughs) trying to point, you know, try to make this all work? (laughs) Well, it's funny. We, we talk about that like once a week. Um, communication and bringing the group back together to finalize a decision is the hardest thing for us. Um, you know, we just ran, we just recently started pretty much getting apparel started and it was probably the hardest thing, uh, we dealt with so far. Um, just between hat colors and this and that. And, you know, bottom line, it comes down to being thorough with the communication and realizing that we are all friends in this and we are all close buddies. But at the end of the day, we have our goals and, you know, our <laughs> our, our drive with this doesn't need to, you know, it's hard to separate that. And, and in my opinion, at least, um, that's like, that's like one thing that I could think of for sure is our biggest tribulation for sure. Yeah, and actually, uh, just to kind of add on to that, Jordan, um, because we have so many guys, you know, um, that not only does that like, whenever it comes to making executive decisions, sometimes we got to weigh those out a little bit different. It makes it a little bit tough. Um, but I think that it's nice at the same time because we have, we all bring a lot of different skill sets. We're able to like delegate work differently. Uh, which makes it nice, you know, if you have a, a group of one or two guys, you know, sometimes you're holding multiple hats, but, you know, sometimes whenever we have meetings, uh, we make decisions based off of who's going to do video editing, who's going to order apparel, who's going to do design work, who's going to do networking and work, reach out to potential sponsors, who's going to manage Instagram analytics, things like that. So, I mean, that aside from, you know, having a lot of guys, sometimes that can be you know hard to get things through and in a way that definitely helps a lot having having multiple heads to help operate things i i totally get it and understand it and i asked the question for a reason because i think a lot of yeah. people who try to go through this right and you see these groups of guys and they try so hard to try and make something like this happen and they fail because one of the things that they forget about throughout all of this is that and, and jordan hit the nail on the head that the beginning of this, it's all about the good times and the fun and the camaraderie, the deer camp, the boys hanging out, the the good times, and then the work comes and you kind of get complacent of what it actually what what your actual end goal is. And the end goal is to have a great time with good mm-hmm. people and to make one of the best deer camps that possibly to share your passion with everybody. And a lot of these groups lose that and they get complacent about it and it just ends up in a big argument and then it just a crumble effect that these things fall and it's the outdoors was built and you guys all know this like deer camps like in pennsylvania i bet you that's a huge thing deer drives and stuff like that where everybody gets together they have a good time they drink beer they you know it's it's the same up north they have a deer camp everybody goes there the guys go there most they don't even hunt half the time you know what i'm saying i mean it's (laughs) cards and talking about women or whatever the case may be but like and 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 us you know, our younger generation starting these YouTube pages and podcasts and everything else, you kind of get complacent about what, what the real true meaning is. And I just, I wanted to hit on it because I think that a lot of people need to know that no matter in all these groups, 
that that's really the end goal in everybody. And you guys stated that right from the beginning. So that's it's an important thing. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. We probably had one of the hardest seasons ever of all of our hunting careers, especially when trying to manage a YouTube page. I mean, Jordan, you know, he did, you know, he did good in PA opening day. He was able to shoot a nice ten point on public. Um, but for everyone else, I mean, we struggled. I mean, to get videos, to get everything on film, to get shots. I mean, we've had got we had several two guys in our group, you know, hit really nice bucks and not be able to recover them. And myself this year, I had a I had struggled a lot with getting you know a deer in range or to get them get a shot opportunity. And I was ded- dedicated to getting a buck on film this year, and uh, it was tough. I mean, it was I mean we hunted hard. I was at pretty much off this entire hunting season as well, so like I had a lot of time to go out. And, I mean, every day I grinded it out, and I mean, I, I struggled, and I mean, Jordan can attest to that in Ohio. He had several good bucks, and I'm sure he'll hit on throughout the podcast that, you know, he wasn't able to get in range, and I mean, it, it was a, it was a tough time, and I mean, that really put our group to the test because, you know, when things yeah. go good, I mean, uh, it's easy to, like, for the good times to keep on rolling. You know, you're getting videos, you're pumping them out, you're growing your page. I mean, it's hard to grow a page when you're not mm. killing deer. I mean, it's hard, <laughs> especially bucks. I mean, I called us the dough slayers this year because that's all we were able to get down. <laughs> it's just the toughest season ever, and I just don't understand how, why. Uh, I mean, it was a struggle. I mean, got, thank God that, you know, we didn't kill each other throughout this being frustrated. But Literally. I mean, Hopefully, I'm, gl- I'm glad at the end of the day we saw it through as friends and, you know, set, you know, some of that stuff aside and just hopefully we can come back better next year. But, yeah, just uh, just what you said, that's, that's how I felt. So years like that are the humbling years, right? Because everybody thinks for, for some reason that they have this deer hunting thing figured out. And in all reality, no matter what – and this, is, this doesn't go to, like, groups like us because we have a big – Big group of guys. You guys have a big group of guys. So we kind of relate in that aspect. But this goes back to even just people in general in the deer hunting woods. When you think that you have them figured out, they're going to humble your ass. I mean, there is no Mm, question about it. They are going to humble you. And it's, you know, and one of the things with having a big team is that everybody can kind of pick up the slack. Where Jordan shot his buck on opening day. It was a beautiful buck. And he kind of carried away for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And then somebody else can kind of pick up. And it was the same here. Like, uh, Marduk shot one. Uh, it was in the first week. Opening day. Oh, it was, it was opening day. So he shot one opening day. And then nobody had shot anything until, like, the middle of October. You know? And then, yeah. and then yeah. you know... I mean, how is that feel like Jordan for you? Like that probably felt crazy because you shot a buck on opening day. Then now you have the rest of the season that you're out chasing bucks and you're not shooting a deer. So it's like an empty space and you're trying to hold up to that expectation to the team. It's yeah, it was that. And it was, it was the same. Like I wanted those guys to do just as well. And it almost killed me because it was like, I want, us to succeed and I want to see those guys succeed because, you know, going back to the whole friends thing and all that, but it, it, it is a bittersweet feeling being tagged out. Now, granted, like I had lived in Ohio. So like I traveled back to PA and I shot that. I, it, I was very fortunate. I shot that buck on opening day and that was that. And then I went back to Ohio and hunted the rest of the season. But that being said, I thought that because with our group, it's like it almost seems like and it might be the same with you guys. Like when one guy kills something, it's like it's like a tumbleweed effect. Mm-hmm. It's like, boom, start, stuff starts dying. And with us this year, it was the complete opposite. It was so it was it was daunting to our group in terms of pretty much everything. And I, I really don't I hope it doesn't. Ha- we, we hope it doesn't happen again. But 
we know how to react to it if it does pretty much. Do you think that the season, like holding yourself to that standard of wanting to film 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 hunts, do you think that that added pressure made it harder to succeed in the in the Whitetail Woods, or you just think that it was one of those years that's like I'm gonna kick you in the ass and teach you what it's really all about? <laughs> so a pure example of that is in Ohio. Uh, Colin touched base on uh, one of our guys, Nick wounding a buck and i was sitting in the ground blind beside him uh we we're very fortunate with a piece of private down in ohio and uh had i brought my ground blind chair that day and that sounds funny because we don't usually hunt out of ground blinds but we hunted out of ground blind that day and i forgot my chair and basically this buck came by at six yards right at daybreak and nick couldn't shoot him because i didn't bring my i didn't bring my chair and we didn't have our own film so then he gets out to 22, 23 yards, and it was just a daybreak. He couldn't see his peep sight, and he wounded him. Um, so to answer that, I would say yes and no. Like, that's one good example. But um, I think as, as a group, we have decided that filming does play a huge role in hunting for us. But bottom line is, you guys know too, um, if you get everything prior to the shot and, um, you do everything you can to show the hunt and the adventure in it, it doesn't matter as much if you get that kill shot. So we won't, we won't pass up deer if we don't get the kill shot, you know, but <laughs> the challenges to filming definitely do add a overall <laughs> obstacle to hunting mm -hmm. and and just to, and just to touch on that like one of the biggest things that i wanted to do this year is make sure i was executing shots um i actually hit uh two actually two bucks in archery last year um and didn't recover either one of them and it was one of the hardest years and i came off that kind of gun shy um and this year i kind of devoted myself that you know um yes i will obviously want to shoot a deer on film but i want to make sure you know that he's broadside or it's you know it's good angle you know, I want to, I want to make sure I do everything to respect that animal. And I, and I think that was one of the things that may have put a little bit more pressure on me this year. Uh, Cause there was times, you know, that a deer would come through a shooting lane and boom, my camera may not have been a focus or he come running through the shooting lane and he was just a little bit off, but he was on camera and I wasn't able to make a, it wouldn't have been a good shot. So, you know, I elected to pass. Uh, so that definitely adds a, a second layer of pressure for sure. Um, but, um, it's, it's something that I feel that I want to do. I want to show the reality of the struggles and, and the way that Jordan, myself and everyone else in our group hunts. I mean, it's, it's a hard way to, you know, to, to, to make sure it works all out. So a lot of us self film and there's just so many elements that add to it. It, and, and self filming is one of those things that's really hard because obviously not only the fact of having to get the deer on camera, get your B roll, get your A roll. Then you have to then make sure because not only that you have so many critics in, in, in the outdoor realm, we'll call it, that literally you can do a thousand things right, but that one thing that you do wrong on film, they will critique you for the next 10 years. And they'll be like, oh, Jordan Jordan shot and he was quartering two. He should have never taken that shot. So you're like trying to 
you're trying to do everything and then you have in the back of your mind like I need to get the content, I need to get the film, I got to kill this buck. Like it, there's a lot more added pressure to this. You know what I'm saying? And then you're carrying an mm-hmm. extra gear. You're trying to set up where you're going to be filming properly. And a lot of people don't get it cuz I mean, let's let's be honest. Like it's it all looks good like unicorns and rainbows, but in all reality, everything is held together with scotch tape just to make it through. Like it's it's a rough, a rough scenario. It really, honestly, is in self filming. Yeah, it's it's a grind, and like like you guys are touching on, um, we, we mostly all self film, and that comes with a huge challenge of making sure that we have enough footage per episode to even edit it. Um, I think, and Colin will definitely attest to this. We have enough footage from this year per hunt of the deer walking in, <laughs> the deer getting shot, the deer running away. And then it's just like, we don't have that cinematic touch to it. And we were, I don't think we ever will because we're self filmers bottom line. And it, it's, it's definitely hard to capture everything you possibly need to mm-hmm. with self filming because, you know, having all that gear and having the little amount of time you do with just everyday life, the last, sometimes the last thing you're trying to focus on is getting every last shot you need to, but that's, you know, that that's what makes a good episode. And we kind of agreed as a group to not put that stuff out until we know we have everything that we need to Mm -hmm. make a good episode. And one of the things it sounds like you guys do is it has to be organic and real. Mm. It's not that you go back and make the B-roll after the shot or whatever the case may be, which even makes it even harder, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you could easily, right, you could easily just carry a, a, a camera with you, watch the deer come in, shoot it, and then make all the B-roll after. But what fun would that be? And I think it's an added challenge that everybody puts on as a self-filmer yeah. instead of like these TV stars. They'll they'll shoot a big buck and then they spend the next three it's months. Terrible. It's so bad. It it's is. So corny. It's like when <laughs> it's like staging a shed find, like put your camera out there and then walk over and act like you found it. It's, dude, it's the corniest thing ever, man. It drives me nuts. Like, just be real right? and show it. I, and, when and I was being like us, we, we like we you know you, you guys and us. We know that that's all kind of not real because we show it in the most real situation we can. And it's, you know, it's it's funny you guys mentioned that because that's sometimes that's how we're trying to different, differentiate ourselves with that type of thing. So. Yeah. When I watch YouTube videos, like I specifically search out self-film whitetail because I'd rather watch raw choppier footage with raw motion of a guy just like me that's hanging banging on public land with his cheap camera arm and whatever camera (laughs) that's maybe not the best production Mm -hmm. than to watch some cinematic fully edited production that's a half an hour long like i mean it's cool and it's great camera work and and you know they do a great job with it but dude i like raw real no bullshit just Tell me how it is, man. I want to see. I want to see the every everyday guy doing it. Well, and I think that's that's a better way of doing it, in my opinion. Because if you if you go back and you edit all that stuff, like I've shot film with some 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 really big names, and like it's not even fun to do it. Like it's really not. Like when you so like turkey hunting, for example, you go in and you turkey hunt. You call the bird in. There's very little B roll prior. You call the bird in. You kill it. 
And then now you're spending the next three hours making B-roll, reacting what actually happened. And it's like... I'm smoking cigars uh, by then. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I just... (laughs) It just... I mean, it's cool. But when I go back and I watch it, I'm like, yeah, that shit's all made up, bro. That's all made up. Yeah, I know, because I made it up. Like, (laughs) it's not... It's just not real. The biggest thing, I think, is definitely being relatable. I mean, myself, personally, that's what I want to look for. I don't want to see something that I can't relate to. Because I'm not going to lie, at the end, I might be interested to see what it is. I'm going to skip right to the end and, mm-hmm. and skip all that stuff that they spent all that time working on anyway. Well, so, I mean, when you grow up hunting and it, you just know, you see through a lot of bullshit. Right. You know what I mean? You know how it really is out there and what right. really goes on. And it, it, like, you're not pulling the wool over my face. Like, I know what's mm-hmm. going on. I can see what's real and what's not real. I had a mentor. Oh, I had a mentor in the beginning when I had started doing all this stuff, and he literally said to me, "He said, Trev, he goes, I'd rather see a kid wearing mismatched camo from Walmart than I would a dude wearing sick. I'm shooting does than I would a dude from Sitka shooting a mm-hmm. 180 inch deer because it, it's just more. Re- it's real. It's what reality life really is, and I think that a lot of people get lost in that. They see all these big guys, and no offense to any of them, but they see all the big guys, and that's what they want to be. But you got to kind of get your own niche to what you want to do. You have to have your own persona and your own your own views on things and kind of be real and relatable, you know? Like people don't give it. That whole that whole world of, you know, going to a farm and shooting a giant deer is kind of out of the out of the picture. And then it was then it was mobile hunting with an e-bike out of a saddle at 10 miles back and now it's like raw real footage of hunting. I think is kind of where it's kind of gone. I, I think the, I think the main thing is Find, being yourself don't mm. don't try to be like anyone else or do it like somebody else or you know it's good to look up to other people but you got to do it your own way and have your own flavor than try to match somebody yeah. else's and try to look like somebody else or how they do it no you're definitely right <laughs> well like jordan yeah, anything, yeah. Oh, like when jordan had shot his his early season buck uh you're in the rain it's miserable it's cold. It's nasty, right? So the deer comes in, and I, 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 it was picture perfect. So I watched the video um, actually this week, and uh, the the buck comes in, and literally I knew exactly what was about to happen. So so he comes in, and he kind of got you. You you go and you go to shoot shoot was the buck. He, was he wearing his little cocoon? No. <laughs> <laughs> When I met you, when I met you, you were like wrapped up in a little cocoon. <laughs> right. Oh, it would have saved me a little bit. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but when you shot that deer and you turned the camera, the reaction was everything that it was supposed to be. Like it was absolutely perfect. You were like, yeah, like it was just, it was what you look for in a hunt. I mean, it really was. I mean, it, it didn't. It didn't feel like it was supposed to happen. To be honest with you, like I hadn't been on that piece since. Well, I, I was there four days earlier looking for like acorns and fresh sign and you know all that good stuff. You know, preseason or pre-rut scouting, and I went up there during the day uh, on a Wednesday. I went up there, and opening day in Pennsylvania was a Saturday, obviously, <laughs> and Hurricane Ian was coming in. And we were talking amongst the group, and we were like we're all going, you know, it's the first day of the season. Like we're definitely going. And when I, I remember when I texted these guys, was like BBD and they were like, no way. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it just happened. It just happened. Like, I love it. I, do you normally text a group of men BBD? I just wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
These guys, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Because they Sorry. know what's going on. <laughs> Your other friends might be worried for you. No. Oh, yeah. I'm glad yeah. you said something. I'm glad you said it because what did you just say? Uh, you didn't think it was going to happen. And I was thinking about that earlier when we were talking because – I think a lot of times when the pressure's on, especially when you're trying to self-film and you're a content creator, you put a lot of extra pressure on yourself. And I don't know what it is. Sometimes I swear to God, these bucks can sense sense that in the woods. And like I know me, I just started self-filming this year, but I know that I, I I get my best hunts and have my best action when I'm just the most relaxed. Just let it do. Just you know what what you got to do. You know where you got to be and just when i have the clearest mind is when shit happens when you start thinking you're forcing it or pushing too hard dude that shit never works out for you right all right so go back to the bbd so you texted a bunch of the dudes about bbd (laughs) come on you can keep going i mean so it was i mean like they 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 didn't believe me and i know they didn't believe me because (laughs) i mean colin can attest to this like we joke around a lot in the group and you know no one expected to go out and kill a deer in that shit to be honest with you i mean it was miserable it was that Terrible. i was soaked and honestly i was nervous about keeping my camera out because we all film with a7.3s and a7.4s really expensive cameras and i when i texted them it was it was a good feeling but also they didn't believe me at the same time so <laughs> I had to send the. I, I sent them the footage as soon as I sent that because I was like, they're not going to believe me. So, <laughs> I, I one of the thing, one of the things that I did notice is that you had your camera out in that. You you actually bring your camera out. You don't even think twice about it. Or, so, I've realized just because I've shot with Sony, I I own a, like a wedding photography business on the side. I do videography and all that on the side, and I've noticed that the Sony's and probably most DSLRs can take a beating. Um, I beat the living shit out of them. I think we do as a group. They are very water resistant and, um, I think they're more durable than the average cam corner. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think twice about it to be honest with you. It's good to know. That, that is really good to know because most of the time I carry like a plastic bag to put over my camera and I run a Sony also and I put a bag mm-hmm. on it. Sometimes I won't even go hunting because I've devoted in the fact that, I'm going to self-film. If I cannot self-film, I'm not going hunting. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm not going to go hunting without filming. So sometimes, I mean, it is a fucking excuse halfway through the rut because I don't want to be in the woods. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> you're, no. like, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. But I, it's good to know that, yeah. I mean, I can bring it out there. So when it breaks, I'm going to yeah. ship it to yeah. you and be like, hey, Jordan. Yeah, I- <laughs> go ahead. I'll repair it. Replace the battery. You know. <laughs> to, uh, to add to that fun fact, Panasonic is not very waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> you break one. Ah, yeah, well, it doesn't work like it's supposed to. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, well, so hey, you live and is. learn. Yeah, Whatever. you live and learn. That's that's part of self filming. <laughs> you just, you just, it's just the way that it goes, man. Yeah, it is. Oh, it we is all weird. have our failures. That's for sure. Yeah, but you know what? That's part of it, dude. That's what keeps it funny, and especially having a around a group of guys what do you do you text them all and they're like oh yeah no oh, you're a dumbass you fucked up nice job congratulations <laughs> right i mean that's just a that's that's the deer camp vibe you know what i'm right. saying of, of the new technology of 2023 yeah. that's what it is you know right um 
I, w- I do want to ask you guys, probably, and we'll start with Colin on this one. Uh, let's let take us through one of your most memorable hunts ever since you've been started hunting. Yeah, no, I mean, like uh, two years ago, I actually wasn't filming at this point, um, but I actually shot my best buck ever. Um, I lived away from where I grew up. My wife and I moved away for a couple of years. Uh, so I didn't get to hunt that much where we lived at. There wasn't a whole lot of public readily available. And quite frankly, I just didn't have the time to go out there and look around. It's real heavily pressured area. Um, so I got the opportunity to come back home for the weekend, October um, 28th, Halloween weekend. Um, I actually, uh, it was very similar to Jordan's opening day hunt, miserable rain, but we had a real big cold front coming through. And I knew that uh, there was a lot of does in this one area. I wanted to go down there, go out there and hunt, and I knew it could be a good hunt. And, um, I wanted to get out there so bad, so um, went out there the first day. I saw a small buck, I think it was a half rack, um, and two does. Um, the, uh, it was pretty slow on on, on uh, Wednesday evening, and then Thursday, um, I actually almost slept in. My wife's grandpa kicked me up off the couch. He's like, "Get out there and hunt. What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, no, no. you know, just sleepy mumbling. Like, I don't want to go." He's like, "No, you need to go." And I was running late, and I was hunting mobile. I hunt with the saddle, uh, so I hurried up, rushed down, was walking in the woods, and I bumped a deer, a big deer, close to where I was going to be hunting. I'm like, "Oh man, this stinks!" Like, I probably just blew up, blew up my spot for the day. And I was hunting on the um, downwind side of a clear cut in between a. Um, hemlock bottom and uh on top there were some private fields uh so i was hunting down there and you know it was raining all morning it was starting to get real foggy um the wind started to pick up around 9 30 and i'm like i'm gonna sit till 10 if i don't see it um, if i don't see anything by 10 i'm gonna get up and move i'm gonna do some scouting like 9 45 came by i seen something run down right down below me and it was a doe oh my god that only means one thing she's running with her mouth open this time of the year something's chasing her and um, I'll flip my can- or my uh, laptop around here in a second. I have the buck here. But um, he come running up through the hemlock ball. And I pull my binoculars up, and I just seen his brows. And I was like, wow, that's him. <laughs> like, that's the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. And um, I watched him fight off four other bucks for like 15 minutes um, in this clear cut, just chasing her around. And I, I honestly didn't know what to do. And uh, so I just hit my grunt tube. And for some reason, the doe ran closer to me. She, like, ran away from all that commotion. She ran closer to me. And she like went to cut off and the buck, he was, I, I range him. He was 80 yards. I'm like, that's way too far. Like I, I'm not comfortable taking that shot. If he gets to 60, I'll shoot. And, uh, for some reason the doe like stepped out towards me and he just like started running. He started rubbing trees, going crazy. And, um, all of a sudden he come up, went on this logging road and went right underneath this one hemlock tree that had high branches, didn't have low branches. He stopped there at 60 yards. He's actually 63 yards, and I ranged him five times. I'm like, 63, 63, 63. I'm like, I'm confident out to that far. If he does, his head's behind a tree, if he doesn't move, you know, I'll smoke him. I drew back, anchored, settled the pin, shot, and all of a sudden, like, I, I heard a smack. And I seen him run. All the bucks ran one way with the doe, and he ran the other way, and I didn't know what to expect, so I called Tim, um, I was like, hey, he's like, I always call him our bloodhound. He's always on every track job for our family. He goes, uh, he goes out. We chase deer all over. It seems like he always gets into the wildest events. And he's been on some wild track jobs with us in the past. And I'm like, he, I, I know he heard this other thing. I like, call it just misses deer. Or he wounded his deer. We're gonna be out all day and this blah blah blah. We he get he comes over about an hour and a half later. We get to the spot. I'm like Tim, I know he's right here. And, and this clear cut, it was it's a three and a half four year old clear cut, so it's starting to grow up pretty thick. 
and it's where I was at. It was hard to see that spot. And, um, we got to the spot, we got to this little knoll and he's like, Colin, do you think he ran over here? And I'm like, Tim, I'm so worked up. I'm like, Tim, I don't know. I don't even know what happened. I probably just wounded this deer biggest deer of my life. I'm never hunting again. He's like, Colin, do you think he ran over here? And he's smacking me at this point. And I'm like, Tim, I don't know. He's like, I can't take this anymore. He just ran. He's like, he's laying dead right there. You idiot. He ran 20 yards. <laughs> <laughs> he died underneath this pine tree. And, um, I mean, it's biggest deer probably i mean hopefully not but probably biggest deer i'll ever kill he scored just under 150 um as a as an eight point he has um, 11 inch brow tines so but i heart shot him i sent you guys a picture after this but that that's a hunt that i'll never forget because that was like the first time i ever killed a big deer um and i mean it's just like i seem like over the last couple years like you get so much self-doubt on yourself you see all these other people have success Mm and um, you struggle and it's it's hard to get past that and it was like I swear that that was the day that like changed me forever as a hunter. And, um, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it, but did you, did you go back to the house and, and, and thank your grandpap or your wife's grandpap? He actually came out to the hunt. He was actually, that's another funny story. He was actually the one hunting this deer. He was across the road on this other piece of public and he was hunting this deer hard. And, uh, in exact words, he came (laughs) up to me, he said, you mother, you killed my buck. <laughs> exact <laughs> words. And I'll never forget the look on his face. And he took a picture with it. You could definitely tell he was excited but sad at the same time because he had him on camera for a couple of years wow. um, before this. But, yeah, it's pro- honestly probably one of the coolest hunts I've ever been on. And, I mean, without guys like Tim, my wife's family, Jordan, Nick, and Ed, like, getting on me about things, I probably never would have made it happen. But that, that's a hunt that resonates with me personally. That's uh, that's my favorite. So that's awesome. That's a badass hunt, especially <laughs> in the rain. You guys are like the rain. You guys need to only hunt in the rain because it seems to be the only time that you guys are very good, very successful, right? <laughs> I swear, yeah. That's uh, that's one of those things here. Since we're not going to be doing the video on this, I'll just show you quick. That's crazy. Oh my! Look at the wow. brow tines on that thing. I wish everyone could see that. Um, it's all right. We'll, we'll share it with them on the Facebook group so everybody can see it. That's a monster. Wow. Yeah. Probably never get that lucky again, but um, I'm glad for one time that I actually had some luck. So. That's awesome. You still got a long career ahead of you, bro, so you probably will do it again. How about yeah, you, Jordan? No, we'll oh, boy. That's a tough um, one to follow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a tough one. Yeah. I, so – I, I guess I could compare it into a, a year I had. Um, I it was two years ago. Um, I had like a like a three buck year, but honestly, the most memorable hunt of those three deer was uh, the Ohio deer. It was my first public hunt out in Ohio that year. Oh, like the first morning I went up and. Tim, Nick, and Ed from the group were all at a piece in Ohio, like 45 minutes. I think it was like northwest of me or something. And um, I wasn't in the tree for more than 15 minutes. And it was the peak of the rut, you know. And I was all jacked up. I <laughs> hiked up this. I was in hill country. So I hiked up this hill early morning. I got in there entirely too early. I think I left where I was staying at like three in the morning because i was like i I need to hike this one hill and it's going to take me at least an hour and a half and it only took me 
20 minutes, probably because of adrenaline, because I was so jacked up. But so I get up in my stand and it's early. And I remember it vividly because it was a full moon. And I knew how early it was because the moon was like, you know, you know how you can tell the moon's like not above you. It's just behind you. And I looked at my phone, it was like 4.15. And at the time it was November. So it's not daylight until like, 6.45, Regardless, about 5 o'clock, I heard a bunch of grunts down in this hollow behind me. And um, I'm thinking, no way. You know, like, there's n- absolutely no way this is happening. Like, this is my first sit of the year in this spot. First sit of my trip, because I was on, like, a little rotation. And me being me, I was, I was kind of not inexperienced, with public ground, but hill country, I was I was not experienced with, and that's a totally different ball game. Um, most of us hunt that in the group now, and we were just out in Ohio this past weekend, and it's it's a different, it's it's just different in general. It's a whole other topic. But so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what do I do? You know, I'm hearing grunts down in this hollow, and it's not even close to daylight. So actually, I left out a series of buck runs and he actually came closer it sounded like well it died off and i'll never forget this it died off and i was thinking i just screwed this entire thing up and i sat there for about another 45 minutes and i just kind of took it in you know i just hiked that hill and took it in that i'm in ohio and this is <laughs> the first day of a very long vacation i think it was like 12 days and um Next thing I know, it's starting to break daylight. And I'll never forget this because there was about 50 freaking turkeys roosted right behind me. And you guys know they make a freaking ruckus, like unbelievable, especially in the fall because they're all fucked up. And they're going nuts. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to listen to them, relax. Like I just screwed up on that buck because I was in here too early, whatever. Maybe he caught my wind. And next thing I know, I just looked down over my left shoulder and here he comes up this the same hall I heard him all morning. What I what we all talked about as a group was he was locked down on that doe all morning, pretty much. And he was just kind of working her. Well, <laughs> these turkeys were making such a ruckus as these as the buck and the doe got in front of me. Um, I was kind of on a side hill. So it's it's tough to like paint a picture talking, but Basically, the buck, the buck was above me, and he was right in my skyline. And these turkeys were behind me, and they were making such a ruckus in the tree and everything that it was actually distracting the deer. And that's not common for a buck and peak rut, but the doe came at 18 yards, and he kind of was just following her, and he was locked down with her, so he was taking her to this thicket to the right of me. And she came to 18 yards, and he went out to 42, kind of just skirted this. It was actually a blowdown he skirted this blowdown to get above her to kind of push her down in this thicket. And it's funny because three days prior to that, I had just missed my biggest buck of my life in Pennsylvania at 14 yards. And my confidence level was terribly low. And I was like, I'm going to draw back on this deer at 43, 42 yards. And I'm, I'm going to give it my all, but I just missed a buck at 14 yards. I don't know if I'm going to hit it. And sure enough, um, I smoked it at 42, 43 yards. And 
same story. I mean, I texted these guys right away because, you know, it's just kind of a nature of the group. And I said, BBD. And these guys had, they had gotten out to Ohio at the same time. And they were like, dude, it's not even breaking daylight. Like, stop messing with this. And I'm, like, I'm not kidding. Like, uh, I'll take a picture of the arrow and the blood. Cause I, you know, you guys know when you make a shot, you, if you hit the deer well, you know, you know, mm-hmm. great. It's always that second thought. Like, did I even hit that deer? But I knew, like, I could tell by his reaction, he did, you know, the mule kick and everything like that. And uh, sure enough, I went up and there was blood everywhere. And I just shot the biggest buck of my life in Ohio. It, I think it went like, he went like 127 and a quarter or something. Tim measured. He's actually a taxidermist, Tim within our group. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a crazy hunt just because like I said, it was the first time going up into that piece and uh, right at daybreak it happened, but touching back to what we talked about <laughs> it can happen at the least expected times. And sure enough, it did that time. That's when it's supposed to happen, bro. Mm. I mean, that's, right. that's what it is. And, and going back to what you were saying in hunting the hill country, like it's one of the hardest areas to hunt because people don't understand it. When you hunt those hills and valleys and those, you know, the the, the drainages that are there and stuff, the wind is just insanity. You don't you it's unexplainable on how it works and how the deer react and cuz out there in you know, eastern you were in eastern Ohio obviously. Mm-hmm. Hunting mm-hmm. eastern Ohio, that wind carries down in those hollows and that's where those deer hub at. And it's totally yep. different than anywhere else that you hunt. And you're just like, oh, crap. What am I going to do if he comes from this way? Oh, no. The wind just shifted. Uh, so yeah. I get what you went through, man. And, and that's a that's a tough scenario. And, and especially hunting public land out there. I mean, that's that's not an easy thing at all. Had you scouted that before? Or did you go in blind in the dark on a on, – did you just drop a pin and go? Or had you, had you been there in, in so, person? So I e-scouted it pretty heavily. I mean, we called East County, but basically I was on Onyx Hunt all before that trip. And I remember very vividly bouncing these guys within the group. Um, you know, what do you think of this spot? What do you think of that spot? And finally, I found uh, pretty much a bench. That that stand's still hanging there. Um, it, it's a bench on a giant ridge. And when you, get, when you see it, if I could paint it, every tree is just like, it's big woods surrounded by thickets. Mm-hmm. And every every tree in that is an, an oak tree and it's all a fee tree and um, the oaks were raining that year. And I think it was just a lot of doe feeding in there. And I, we all thought within the group and myself that there was going to be a buck up in there pushing doe. And sure enough, I went up there the day prior to just check it out, but I didn't go fully into that spot. Um, I stayed back. And then the next day I went up and hunted it and it panned out. So it's it, awesome. That's one of those things with having a good team that makes you successful. So that's a team deer. And that's, we talk about that a lot because I do a ton of travel hunting and I'll text back to the boys. Well, Steve particularly, he's like a mastermind on, on e-scouting <laughs> and I'll be like, bro, I'm going into this area. And he'd be like, all right, check here, here, and here. And I'll be like, all right. And I'll go in there. There'd be sign. I'm like, all right, I'll hunt this. And then I get in there and I'm like, bro, the wind's coming from this way. He's like, you got to hunt over here. So, so Steve actually, 
he he finds all my deer. I just kill all the deer. Like I, I I'm horrible at it. And just be like, yeah, go hunt right there. The wind's doing this. You got to be here on this time after this. Blah blah blah. I go there, whack, and then I'm like, oh, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, bud. Right. <laughs> just, honestly. But that's a good thing about having a good team that you can work with and yeah. kind of kind of help, man. And just radio back home, like, hey, man, fucking, I'm going here. Help me out. What are we gonna do? You know. <laughs> It is a great thing. It really, honestly, yeah, is a great thing. And to touch back on what you said about hill country, real quick, I don't want to keep you know You're touching good. on it, but that was the first area that I learned about. And and Colin has visited hill country, and we all have been there now as a group. That's the first spot you really area that you really learn about thermals mm-hmm. and wind. I'm mm-hmm. telling you right now, I have been winded in the most like you said, the most awkward scenarios and like my wind's perfect, but there's a deer blowing at me 200 yards away. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, is that deer blowing at me or a coyote or how is that even possible? Mm -hmm. And then you realize like, shit, it probably is blowing at me. And, and that's where you really learn like, all right, I need to look further in depth. Like this deer that I'm after is not going to be easy to kill. (laughs) One of the things I learned about hunting that hill country is stay close to water because water draws it. So it over it like supersedes the thermals and the it it's screwed up, right? And, and you don't you don't think about it, but like if you are on, on a creek bed that holds water, a lot of the times that thermal will pull to that water. So you're using right. that and a benefit with the you know, it all depends. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios how, that go yeah, into it with like on how wind and this and that, but there's a lot of things. And I try to hunt on riverbeds because mm-hmm. I, especially on the on on the sunset because then it's pulling down and if it's a bigger river than my water it, it's it's a screwed up scenario and i've been blown at and busted and it's and especially you figure if you have a you know let's say a 10-day hunt or a 12-day hunt you have a very short window to try and make it happen so when stuff like that happens you're like oh shit dude that just ruined an entire hunt like i only have 10 hunts like what am i gonna do you know and you just you get nervous i mean it's a that hill country is no joke. Yeah. I mean, it, it holds great deer and it's tough, but I mean, you guys probably deal with it in PA too, no? Or just not to that severity? A lot of finger ridges out there, no? PA. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mountain ground. PA is kind of its own. We have the Appalachian Range. So our mountains are just as big as, you know, most mountains. Obviously not the same as Western, but thermals and knowing how to play the thermals is just as important as hill country, but hill country is, and and in our opinion is a little different because, well, obviously there's more to account for, you know, a mountainside is just a mountainside, but hills and ridges, there's multiple hills and ridges along Mm -hmm. one, one ridge. So you have to, you kind of just have to know, but the nice thing about hill country is in my, in my opinion, those areas is once you get an area down, and you understand it, it can be it can be money. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it can it can be game over. And I think uh, you know Nick within our group and and I, Colin will probably go up there because he visited he visits Ohio a lot. Um, that spot that I shot my buck is it's perfect for you know the hill country setup. And I didn't I didn't plan for that. You know, I was new to it, but just you know. I got lucky that day, and, and now that's that stand stays there, and it's just it's gonna pan out for years to come. I think. And I think a lot with Ohio because it's so up and down. I mean, like a lot of where we hunt in PA's. Just to give you an idea, we're we're on top of a mountain, so we're a lot of ridge tops. 
Ohio is boom, boom, boom. It's mm. a lot of spine backs, hog backs. It's up and down. So there's a lot of different train features that obviously play a big part in that. But um, just where we hunt at in PA, it's a lot of flats, a lot of benches, a lot of ridge systems, some drainage is not as much, at least where I hunt at. But a lot of what we rely on is edge. But just visiting hill country in Ohio, that teaches you so much about thermals and how it can translate to so many places. You know, if you want to hunt West Virginia, if you want to hunt Pennsylvania, if you want to hunt Virginia, any place with, you know, some some sort of terrain, I think that can be so transferable. Right. Well, when you're up top, like when you say you hunt the tops in PA, tops are easy. That's where you get the most consistent wind. Right. The, the, as soon as you start going down, the farther down you mm-hmm. get, the squir- swirlier it gets. You know what I mean? But back to what um, Jordan said, you, you really have to learn the thermals. The only way you can learn the thermals is to fuck them up. Like you have to, you have to get exactly. in there. You have to get your ass kicked, and you have you have to pop your milkweed and see what's going on and why it's doing it. And you, you just kind of have to sit there and think about why it's doing what it's doing. It, it's going to kick your ass, but it's the only way you can really mm-hmm. learn. And then you can use that the next time when you go somewhere else, and you can start to put together a, a portfolio of what you can expect it to do from past experience. But you're never going to learn until you just go in there and do it. Right. And that's one of the problems with Ohio and that hill country area is those deer travel down in those drainages because they know that the wind well, does what it's going to do. Right. And it's and it's crazy because their wind is not the same prevalent as here. So you have to learn to what is prevalent there and how those deer move. They come off those hillsides and drop right into those valleys down in those drainages, and that's where they work. That's where all the scrapes, all the rut. I mean – it, and it's tough. It's tough hunting. You could be at the at the at the head of the drainage, and that wind is literally going to run down the side of that hill, and it blows right into it. Like I don't care if it's you know if it's a uh, like say I'm looking up at southeast, but that wind is coming from the north northwest. It's going to blow up, and then it's going to hit that wall, and it's going to shoot right up into it southeast. You're like, yeah. What? I mean, e-scouting is <laughs> forget it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to be able to try and gather a wind on it. And a lot of those, like, you'll find those big scrapes and those drainages, and they'll have like a, a a west wind, but they'll have an east thermal pole. So it doesn't matter. They get both winds out of both directions. The thermals is pulling one way, the wind's blowing the other, and that's why those mm-hmm. deer are there because they know they're catching a wind from both sides. It's yeah. just, and I'm sure a lot of those great spots are just unhuntable just because, just for that reason, and that's why those deer make it. I mean, it's a perfect setup, but the deer have it in their advantage so much that you either got to get shit lucky or um, – Yeah, or just catch them off and just yeah. try to catch them coming and going. Yeah. yeah. And, but it, and, and when, you're, when you're travel hunting like that, you just kind of – you kind of just wing it. You're just like – I'm going in there, bro. I don't care what it does. If that, I'm just hoping that deer comes from a little bit different mm-hmm. angle, or that wind is blowing at a different. You just try to. You kind of play on the edge. You know what I'm saying? You're giving him three quarters of it, and you're taking a quarter of the slice instead of half and half. You know, and and that's it's a dangerous way to play the game. But sometimes it just works. You know, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I mean, it's just well, the yeah. way it goes. Especially on an out of state hunt, you, you can only be so pat. I mean, you only got a couple days. You got to be super aggressive. You got to just go for the. And kill. especially it's the rut, so you don't know where the. I mean, you can think where the deer are coming from, but you don't actually know. You know, I mean, it's. Right. It's a tough scenario, man, and especially travel hunting, trying to get it done in those short period yeah. of time, man. You just, you just kind of got to push yourself to that to that level. I mean, it doesn't really matter, you know. Absolutely. 
You're well, not wrong by any means. No, it's just it's tough, man. <laughs> that it's just I mean, listen, we could do a full podcast yeah. on thermals and winds because we, you know, when you when you hunt those areas, it's tough. So I've hunted eastern Ohio and been successful, and I've hunted central Ohio and been successful. And you want to talk about the differences between the two of them? Bro, it's not even I feel like I'm in Kansas in central Ohio and I feel like I'm in the the mountains of Montana when I'm in eastern Ohio. Like it's just it's a crazy diverse world, you know what I'm saying? And crazy. it's just nuts, but it is what it is. <laughs> At least you were successful. You know, that's yeah. that's a great thing and Colin shot the biggest deer of his his life and it's just <laughs> It doesn't get much better than that, honestly. Uh, too bad you weren't filming that, Colin. That's what it, I was I like. I, when you're telling the story, I'm like, I gotta watch the video. But then I was like, Oh, there is no video. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that was one day I did have my camera, wasn't mm. filming, and uh, I, I regret it ever since. Because I mean, it probably would have been easy. I mean, it wasn't. Mm. He wasn't close enough that it would have been that much pressure. Right. But yeah, that's that's one of those things I I learned. I said that day forward, I've been filming since. Mm-hmm. I haven't stopped. So <laughs> it was the day it taught me, like, Hey, you never know when it's your turn. So. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to always carry it with you. Well, boys, what's the, what's the future to hold for you guys in in, in the group? Honestly, um, we just want to keep bringing it in terms of content. I feel like that's that's our mood right now. Um, we've really touched on within the group of just making sure that we're doing everything that we can to bring our hunts to life through the lens of our camera um that sounds pretty cliche mm-hmm. but that's that's basically it um we're, we're doing our best with getting on youtube being a little more engaged with that side of things i know we touched base at the show uh you know mm-hmm. myself and you guys about youtube and everything like that but honestly just keeping what's important at, at mind but at the same time, knowing what we have in store and all the hunts that we have planned for the year, um, we have multiple out-of-state hunts planned this year. Just keeping in mind that we need to go out there and enjoy it. But at the same, you know, the, the essence of it all, we need to be filming and we need to make Keep sure. Keep grinding. We, yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing better than that. Well, guys, I got one more question for you, and I didn't prepare you for it for a reason. But uh, one of the questions we ask is, what drives you outdoors? Either you guys can start it off. Yeah, and I think on it, and I'm sure Jordan can attest to this, uh, we're the journey outdoors for a reason. It's not about the end goal. It's not about the uh, how it starts. It's just about the process. And I think that, you know, finding success, fighting through failure, um, learning, collaborating with each other, and just trying to figure out how we can get through things. It's it's the journey, and I think that's honestly the thing that drives me the most. I mean, I think it's great whenever you uh, get out there and you, you kill a hammer buck, but what about all the time you put in scouting, putting cameras out in the summertime, or spending your winter shed hunting, or, um, you know, hanging and banging, set, making setups if you're hunting mobile or hanging stands. Um, it's that grind and that grittiness, I think, that drives me because, I mean, at the end of the day, if it wasn't hard, I probably wouldn't be doing it. So I, I, I love the challenge. Amen. Amen. What about you, Jordan? I, I, I can't say – I can't talk about once again. <laughs> <laughs> we probably shouldn't I, I let think, Colin go first anymore. Next podcast, no more. <laughs> I think what drives us every year is is what we put off 
put in in the off season. Um, you know, it's it's a 365 day thing for us. Mm-hmm. There isn't a day that we're not thinking or doing something to try to make the next season successful for us. Um, that being said, we we, we kind of keep it lighthearted. But I think in all of us in the back of our mind, uh, the success of a hunt is is kind of what drives us. And um, I think, in my opinion, the best way to do that is to work your work your ass off because most of us hunt public ground within this group and you're not going to, you're not going to go out and kill a, a slob if you're not working your tail off mm-hmm. and you're not and you're not doing what you need to do. You know, some people get lucky and some people do, you know, kill a giant, but they can't do it. I won't say they can't do it consistently, but it doesn't, you know, it's what you take out of it, mm-hmm. you know? out there and you shoot a 180 on your first day stepping foot on the ground so be it but if you put in freaking 100 days of scouting and you understand it there's a lot more to it than just going out there and killing it you know you know that you earned that deer or you and you know that you earn whatever it is that you're after and i think that's what drives us a lot in the group is and especially pushing each other you know there's not a day that we're all buddies but we give each other shit to mm-hmm. get after it and, and go for it and keep what's important in mind. I think that's the most important thing is pushing each other to the next limit. Like, cause you know what, what the next person holds and what they, they're capable of. And they might be blinded by that. They might have a handkerchief over their eyes, but if your buddy is there to push them to that level, they're going to succeed no matter what. And that's, I think that's the importance of all the groups. I mean, it really is. I mean, like we bust ass all the time. We bust each other's ass like, because it's not that we can't, we're not pushing them to something they can't handle, but it's just the, what keeps them successful in the deer woods, you know, which is or in the outdoors. So absolutely. So boys, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, your website, whatever, uh, just so they can reach out and kind of check what yeah, you guys got going on. So it's pretty simple. Basically for Instagram, it's the journey outdoors. Um, recently, this is just a backstory. That's real quick. We recently got shadow banned by Instagram. Imagine that for a reel, it kind of blew up. So you have to put a space in between each word. It's kind of stupid, but, uh, <laughs> it's just how it is with Instagram nowadays. Um, our YouTube is just the journey outdoors. And then, uh, thejourneyoutdoors.com. Um, we plan on bringing a lot of things to the table for this spring for turkey. Um, like we touched on earlier, it's mostly whitetail and turkey. Mm-hmm. So, no, uh, we're traveling a lot this spring. Um, then obviously deer season is deer season. I think we all from the, from the eastern side of the United States go after it with whitetail. So, yeah, you can follow us on, on Instagram at The Journey Outdoors, YouTube, same thing. Every all all the links are included in our Instagram, our website, and everything like that. So I'll put them below here too on the podcast, so everybody can click on them. But just so that everybody knows where they want to go, or, sometimes or they kind of you to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You better do that. But some people mostly get lazy and they don't want to click down below, so yeah. we just got to tell them what's up. <laughs> yeah. But guys, listen, we we really thank you guys for coming on. Looking forward to seeing where your journey leads, you guys. Awesome podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, And everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.